In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, as you know, uh, today is uh, Christmas Eve. We already had a Mass during the day, and now, in our desire to already as soon as possible celebrate Christmas, we have uh, the Mass of Christmas Eve and then Christmas night, because we are eager to celebrate this this beautiful this beautiful feast. And um, so the, the feast that we celebrate today, or the, rather the gospel that we celebrate today, is uh, the gospel that re- recounts the decree of Caesar who, who brought in all the people to count uh, the, the amount of people that were in his uh, kingdom. And uh, it was a population census for the, for the purposes of collecting taxes and uh, was prompted, is what, what prompted Joseph to set off for, from Nazareth to Bethlehem together with Mary, his uh, betrothed, who was expecting a child. The birth of Jesus in the city of David is placed within the overarching framework of world history because we see it not just as an isolated event but in the event of Caesar decreeing this census even though Caesar himself was quite unaware of the difficult journey that these ordinary people were making on his account and so it is that the child Jesus is born seemingly out of chance or by chance in that place that was promised. The context in world history is important for Luke. Luke cares a lot about history. He studies history. And for the first time, the entire world, the ecumene, in its entirety, is enrolled. Everybody is counted, a bit like we are all counted with the pandemic. For the first time, there's a, there's a government, and it's a government that, entire, that spans the entire globe, the known globe at the time. For the first time, there's even a Pax Romana, a, a peace, in which everybody's property can be registered and placed at the service of the wider community. Only now, when there's this communality of law and of property at a, at a, at a very large scale, 
And when a universal language has made it possible for a cultural community to trade in ideas and to trade in goods and the, and the aqueducts to bring about water to everybody and the famous Roman roads, only now can a message of universal salvation, a universal savior of the entire world, make its appearance. It is indeed the fullness of time. You could say just by virtue of the fact that there were Roman roads that interconnected the entire world, it's thanks to that that the gospel could be, could be brought everywhere, thanks to those famous Roman roads. And now we experience that fullness, the excitement of that fullness. Because that's why Christmas is always a very unique and special day. It's a unique time. And we want to re-experience this. We don't want uh, this to be just any other day. When we think of Christmas, I don't know about you, but uh, Christmas always connects me with my childhood. I mean, it always has this mystery, this, this innocence of that time. And it is often that innocence, that simplicity of childhood is often maintained through carols. Sacred music that helps us to pray and to stand up in church or as, as we did in my family, to stand in front, in front of a Christmas tree that was lit with real candles. And he had to watch it carefully. And there was always a bucket nearby, just in case. Just in case. But standing in front of that beautiful, glistening tree with those candles, you had to pause and you had to stare at it, at its beauty. And uh, everybody knew, everybody intimately understood that this was a symbol of Christ, who in some way was, was ready to light up any time. And of course, one of the most beautiful hymns there is, of course, the one that, that seems to take such pride of place is Holy Night. Silent night. I recently heard the story, or read rather, read the story of this this beautiful hymn that dates to around uh, eighteen eighteen twelve or so. But it first came onto the scene. Well, let's say its popularity started in the court of Frederick William of Prussia, who had ascended to the throne in eighteen forty. He was in Prussia, that was today, of course, Germany. And on Christmas Eve, there was a, a cathedral choir. I presume this was in the cathedral or in some public place. I think it was in the court, probably in the court, where Friedrich or Felix Mendelssohn was playing. And one of the hymns they played was Silent Night, Holy Night. And the emperor, the king, was very impressed by that. So he went up to Felix Mendelssohn and he asked him, this was a beautiful hymn. Who is the author of that hymn? And, you know, he was examining his program. It was unknown. It was unknown. So, and uh, the, the, the king was very surprised that it was not known. And Felix Mendelssohn said, I, I had no idea. So, so the king of Prussia would not, you know, permit such an imprecision. 
that we should not know the author of such a beautiful of such a beautiful hymn. So he went to the head of the royal concerts, a certain Ludwig, and he asked him, "Who wrote that?" Silent night. He said, "I don't know. I have no idea." No. So, in order to please the king, he scoured all the libraries, he went to the principalities, he went throughout the entire kingdom to find out who this could be. All of Germany, you know, like, we've got to find this, but to no avail. But as he listened to it again, he said, no, I don't know, this sounds like it might be from Vienna. I don't know how it could sound like it was from Vienna, but, you know, this was a very nurtured ear. So he went to that court, the court of Vienna, but they didn't know either. However, there was an old musician there who lived during Haydn's day, and this gave him a clue. He said, Michael Haydn, the brother of the famous musician, had also composed many works, and many of these had been lost. And, well, as a long shot, he went to the library, and, and he tried to search for this, but to no avail. But during the return trip, he was going back now to Germany and he was afraid that he would uh, really displease the king. On the return, while he was staying in an inn, he noticed a bird in a cage. And the bird was singing this song. The bird was singing Holy Night. You know? and, and he realized that this bird was singing Holy Night and, and well, it must have been in contact with whoever, whoever wrote this. So where did this bird come from? So the innkeeper said, uh, the innke- this bird come, comes from uh, the abbey at Salzburg. The abbey at Salzburg. So, you know, it was used to entertain the guests. So Michael Haydn had lived there for quite a while at the abbey. So, so well, this... Uh, this Ludwig guy went to the abbey and they received him very well. They said, welcome to our abbey. Here you can have a nice room and everything. They treated him very graciously. And uh, so he went through more of uh, Haydn's uh, manuscripts, but he found nothing. So he has to go back to the German court. And uh, at that time, a school teacher at the abbey heard this story that he'd been looking for this. And uh, this guy's name was Ambrosio Presteiner. And he was especially interested in the story of the bird. He said, This bird might have belonged to one of the boys of the Abbey Choir, because they had a choir. And uh, he thought about this. So the, this school teacher who taught these little kids, he, he basically what he did is he went to the school and he pretended to be the bird, he mimicked the song of the bird, trying thereby to attract one of the boys. And that's what he did. He went to the window and tweeted the song, and suddenly a little boy comes up, oh, bird, you've come back, only to find uh, Ambrosio Presteiner there. And, um, and so the teacher asked this little boy, what is your name? He said, Felix Gruber, Felix Gruber. And he said, uh, so uh, where did you learn that song, he asked. He said, well, my father taught me that song. Uh-huh. And, and, and where did he get that song? He said, well, he composed it. He composed it. Oh, okay. So 
he went to the village where this this boy's father was, and this father's this boy's father was Franz Gruber, who was a who was a composer, and uh, and and so it turns out that Franz Gruber had indeed written this song and composed this music of the Holy Night, but he said, well, who wrote? The lyrics, holy nights, silent nights, all this, you know, all that beautiful, you know, uh, that beautiful, the beautiful words of the song. And, um, and it turned out that it had been written by a priest who is now dead. His priest was name is Joseph Moore. So if you look at any hymn book, you'll see Joseph Moore and uh, Franz Krieber. And, and so he, he kept digging, okay, but how did Joseph Joseph Moore write this. Well, it turned out that when Joseph Moore, now this goes back to 1812, when he was uh, in his rectory on Christmas Eve, he was trying to he was trying to figure out what to write or what to say in the homily. He was only 26 years old, and he was reviewing the gospel. Okay, what, what, what am I going to say here? And uh, and then uh, there's a knock on the door, and it's a peasant woman, and she says, you know, can you come help? Because there's a baby that has been born in the mountains, in a little, whatever, a little house in the mountains. So without delaying, the priest trudges on through the snow, and he comes to this, to this peasant home, in the, and he, it's a very, very humble abode, and indeed, the child has been born. Eh? And uh, he helps them out, and, and upon his return, he finally... He, he, as he's going out, the stars are shining, you know, there's beautiful snow falling, and, uh, he sees the light kind of glistening off the snow, and of course, he's completely inspired, and, um, you know, also, of course, seeing that beautiful peasant couple, naturally, in that humble home, reminds him of that other couple, Mary and Joseph, in that dwelling in Bethlehem, in Judah. And immediately he started to take pen to paper or a quill to paper and he write, he wrote down the lyrics of Silent Night. The next morning, Christmas Day, 1818, that priest um, called Franz Gruber and said, can you put music to this? I have written the, this poem. And Franz Gruber looked at the, at the lyrics and said, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Right? And he read the poem and he said, Father, you, praise God, praise God. I have here exactly what I need. And at that moment, he composed uh, a tune to go with those words. And it was composed to go with violin and guitar. And they couldn't use the, the, the uh, organ because the organ had been damaged in a, a recent flood. And uh, so it was composed to go with violin and, and guitar. Now that, that hymn today is sung by... <laughs> It's like sung by thousands of people every year, and it has touched so many. And and I heard that it has now been declared a, I think something like a treasure of humanity by UNESCO, and it is not to be touched. And uh, many people have done different versions. There's the American Military Choir that has done an absolutely spectacular version. There's Nat Cole who's done a beautiful, beautiful, you know, version. Many versions of this, and of course, translated in all the language. But the original was German, right? And uh, it's really a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Uh, I was listening to these uh, 
these Spaniards that were, of course, the Spaniards has a different, you know, a different tradition of beautiful hymns as well. And they have one that starts saying, Los peces en el río. Villa como beben, los peces en el río. Which is nice, it's nice. It talks about, it talks about fish, you know, drinking in the water. I mean, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. So, you know, there's so many beautiful traditions of hymns, right? And so these guys were saying, okay, what are we going to pray? What are we going to sing to the child Jesus? And they thought, well, Bethes in and Rio, I mean, that's, you know, the, yeah, the fish in the river is nice, but maybe we should get something a little bit more, you know, pious. And then they start others and, and uh, all of them. And then in the end, after discussing many once something, some with tambourines, you know, the little drummer boy, and, the, and the, you know, all kinds of, I mean, the beautiful stuff. But in the end, they decide on which seemed to be the one that most, uh, how can I say it, it, it just most evoked this sense of prayer, of seeing, you know, around young virgin, you know, and, 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 and of course, uh, um, you know, like I have, I, in fact, here in my little Magnificat, I don't know where if I can find it, but um, there are, there's a whole section of all, all these hymns, right? And of course, the most uh, prominent one is, of course, uh, Holy Night. It's, it's in here somewhere, but... Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know where it is, but uh, and so it's beautiful to see that the Lord has wanted to give us all these beautiful traditions so that we sing, and singing is like praying two times. Eh? And today, no doubt, we will at one point, I hope, pray, or tomorrow, uh, uh, rather, that we will sing. And it's an occasion really for us, singing is an occasion for us to, to pray. And indeed, um, as we approached the birth of the Savior, um, the preparation was done with the antiphons. And antiphons are s- supposed to be sung the, the, with the famous O antiphons, all from the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And these O antiphons, they all start with O, right? Like, O Root of Jesse, O uh, King David, O Rising Dawn, O King of Nations. You know. And now, today, we come with O Emmanuel. O Emmanuel, and um, they're meant to reflect how how we've been waiting for the coming of Jesus. And of course, O Emmanuel, you know, means He is with us. He is with us. He is with us here in the Blessed Sacrament, but in this unique way, He is finally with us, and and we can sing. And uh, He's with us already with the Blessed Virgin Mary who ran to her cousin, Elizabeth. But now, well, he, we say he's king of the nations because he's king of the nations. And, and, uh, and what we can ask now, do, does the Lord really reign in my heart? Does he reign in my thoughts? And uh, we, might, we might imagine this in a kind of symbolic way, but perhaps I have not really let him sink in. Hmm? Uh, you know, a king, of course, has a law. A king has his rules. He has his dominion. It's a law that is meant to assure peace. It's meant to assure tranquility and justice and care for the common good and stability. You know, we hear sometimes how there are certain countries where there's a lot of corruption and there's, there's no real rule of law. They say, this is a lawless country, they say, you know. And, 
There, immediately, the most vulnerable struggle and the, the anxiety and tension arises. People sometimes put up big walls around their houses because of or barbed wire or you know, cameras to defend themselves. And that's why they have dogs, as the dogs alert them. Right? I know somebody who moved to here from another country, and his first night upon arriving here in Canada, he slept in a room where it had glass doors, you know, the sliding, typical sliding glass doors that gave to a, like a, like a backyard. And he was amazed to see that there were no metal bars, no metal bars. And he couldn't sleep all night. He was nervous, you know. He, he see, how am I going to sleep if, if anybody could come in through these glass doors? You know? But of course, this is Canada, right? This is Canada. I had to explain this. We don't keep, you know, metal bars on glass doors that slide, you know. We just, you know. But he wasn't used to that, right? So if that child is indeed a ruler, the king, as the antiphon says, king of the peoples and cornerstone of the church, come and save man whom you made from the dust of the earth. We were made from the dust of the earth. So does he, does he reign in my decisions? Is he the principle, the cornerstone by which I decide the direction of my life? He has informed me of my mission, of my purpose, and that's what we ask, you know, we ask now that that we may be filled with peace and that the same peace that was present in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and the and the shepherds and then later on the wise men who came. I mean, in theory it could have been a dangerous place. It could have been dangerous and not the place uh, that would be appropriate for a, a little child. And so we we can ask that you know um, you know some some cornerstones in in buildings include a, very often a, a time capsule mm-hmm. from when it was built. Mm-hmm. He the Lord is the cornerstone. But you know some big buildings I don't know where they put them, but the, the cornerstone the, like a fundamental stone. And then they they stick a, a time capsule in there, and sometimes they would have sacrificial offerings of grain or or um, some other important objects. And uh, when a bishop erects a church, uh, uh, he goes to the outline on the ground and establishes where the altar will be. And he says prayers over the cornerstone. And that's where he gives the church its name. Then he says Psalm 126, which says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the, the Lord build the house. And then he sprinkles holy water on there. That's like the dedication of the church. So we ask, as we look at the round young virgin, in this holy night, this silent night, what is written on your cornerstone? cornerstone, of course, of our life must be Christ. It must be that child. You know, you're here for Christmas and many people come and are, are, are gathering now with the limitations imposed uh, by the current situation of the pandemic. But of course, the, the cornerstone impacts the entire 
entire rest of the, of the edifice. And if we're stressed, if we're worried often, if we get angry, if we get maybe very lazy, maybe somewhere there the cornerstone has not been well placed. It has to be in our, our decisions, in the way we speak, in the way we exchange greetings, how we work, for whom we work. Like those masons who set to work after the cornerstone is blessed. And we too must set to work with a conviction of why we are here. We're here to build the edifice of our sanctification. That's why we're here. And the cornerstone is that child. You know that when our father, St. Josemaria, had finished building one of the first sections of, the, of uh, Villa Tevere, and also I believe it's the case of uh, the Roman college, he wanted to give a blessing on the last stone. Not the first one, but the last stone. I suppose, I mean, the logic was that it's easy to have a nice ceremony mm-hmm. and sprinkle water on the future building. But many buildings are left unfinished, right? But the real merit is when we finish it. We persevere through the end. The reason we can actually finish this building, the reason the cornerstone, you know, we finish it. And that deserves, uh, well, a celebration, that deserves, you could say, a real blessing. And no real true builder leaves uh, his edifice half finished. Uh, if, it, if he has begun to build a house, he does not rest until it's done. An artist does not hand in a portrait until the whole thing is beautiful and outlined with highlights and a real likeness. And it always struck me that the most popular likeness of George Washington right, is uh, the famous drawing of George Washington that we have on the American $1 bill. I don't know if they still have the $1 bill. We, we don't have $1 bills. We have the, the, the loony. But that, that portrait is an unfinished portrait. If you look at the original, it's unfinished. He's got the face done, but the, the shoulders are, are, not, are not finished. But it nevertheless became the most valuable image. Uh, you know, it's seen all over the world. That you know. Do I realize that I'm building the edifice of my sanctification? What does it look like? So the edifice must be built on that child. And today is a good day to go back to that because it has many consequences. You know, putting Jesus at the center of our life really means going deeper into contemplative prayer in the midst of the world. That's why we can thereby really see the meaning of holy night, silent night, because that's where the, the, the Virgin is, that's where St. Joseph is. I heard that, that uh, the church where that priest was, Joseph Moore, well, when he wanted to sing the, the Holy Night for the first time, they had to use guitar and, 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 uh, and violin because the, 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 the organ had been damaged by floods. But a few years later, the entire church was damaged and, and broken because of floods again. 
So they rebuilt the church and built it like beautifully. It's a small church, it's not a huge church. And they called it Holy Night, Silent Night. That's the Church of the Holy Night and Church of the Silent Night. And so they rebuilt it and now it's again, you know, a great treasure. Let's ask our Blessed Mother, who now we meditate on and we picture her there in Bethlehem, maybe in a cave, uh, her beautiful face, the beautiful face of the child, and the protective gaze of Saint Joseph. Let's ask the Holy Family, really, you know, to to intercede for us so the child Jesus, the baby Jesus, is really the true cornerstone of my life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.